is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPM-LP 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with interviews and news reports filed by members of the community. I'm Maleka Fruin. Tonight we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about a new resource for information about gun violence in Philadelphia, an organization that helps Philadelphians learn digital literacy skills, the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy of Pennsylvania, and groups working to help immigrants arriving in Philadelphia on buses sent from Texas. To start things off, we have a report about Up the Block, a new website providing news and resources for people in Philadelphia affected by gun violence. Block by Block reporter Selena Singleton and I spoke with Afia Tucker, community engagement reporter at Up the Block. Good morning, Afia. It's so good talking to you today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your role and and then tell us a little bit about Up the Block. I am the new community engagement reporter for the Trace Newsroom. I am excited to be in this role, trying to really be a connector and let people know, do you know about this resource? Because now it's turning into a resource and information hub for folks who haven't been affected by gun violence in any type of way. I hope the team find organizations in Philadelphia who were truly helping people, who were boots on the ground, who were providing resources, support, an ear to listen to, a shoulder to lean on, um, direction. And um, we vetted these organizations and we asked a series of questions and we went to the website and make sure things were current and up to date and talked to the executive directors, talked to folks who are part of the team. So I I feel really proud of Up the Block. How do you feel that you being from Philly, what do you feel like that brings to your position here? I have lived in Philly most of all of my life. Me being a Philadelphia native brings to this work is I'm not out of touch. I also had some experiences um, with losing loved ones to gun violence. I know how that impacts a family. I know the levels of care that's needed for people who are still suffering in a sense, who are trying to heal, who are trying to pick up the pieces. And when I worked on the project of the block and I was introduced to the trace, I'm like, wow, I wish I would have been new about this. As a reporter, can you speak to the bias that you see in current media? as it relates to how people are reporting on gun violence. So I think bias comes in um, sometimes when we're telling these stories and it's just another number. What I'm hearing from people is like, it's kind of the norm. And I hear young people say that, like this is starting to be the norm. And I think as journalists and reporters, we have to take some responsibility in that when we tell these stories and, um, you know, be aware of how we are reporting. So we're not making it seem like this is just another day, just another shooting, just another face. We're not talking about solutions enough. We're not talking to young people enough. We're too old, somebody told me. We're too old. We need to jump into their world and not overtalk these people. So those are just some of the responses that I'm getting that I think may impact why we may see some of these biases in terms of reporting. 
Do you think it's possible to cover gun violence in a way that aids in prevention? I think there is. I think that it is worth the time to even spotlight more often community organizations and groups who have prevention programs and services. I think now is the time to feature more stories about young people who are doing good things. Um, Stories about these different people and organizations and faith-based communities who are committed to mentoring to teaching, um, job readiness programs, and, you know, people make the correlation between um, poverty and the gun violence, but we know that's one fraction, right? That's not really the just of it all. So I do think it's a way to do that. And I think even with the Trace Newsroom and with having community engagement reporters and having a product and uh, an information hub like Up the Block, that's one way to do it. Athea, you have been very much so immersed in the gun violence issue. You've heard from politicians, community members, youth, have seen a whole bunch of different perspectives. In your experience at this point, what do you think would be the most pivotal long-term solution to the issue of gun violence if you had to pick one major change? If we're talking about solving a problem before it happens, then we have to really talk about what are we doing as community members. And I think that first step, if I had to make one decision right now, I would say that we have to all give back to strengthening the community. Neighbors need to know who neighbors are. We need to have more of that village. You know, we still hear that sometime, but I'm not sure if we're really living in that. It takes a village to raise a child. And um, that's not something politicians can fix. We've really got to bring some strength back into being good neighbors and good people to each other. What would I say to a room for politicians? Listen to your constituents. It's time for you to really open up that door and listen to what they have to say. Or your solutions being based on the voices of the people who you serve? Are you really hearing them? Are we walking these streets? Are you being present? You know, I know that it's probably not possible to be there for every incident, but are you reaching out to those families when unfortunate things happen and saying, you are in my district, my door is open. Let us know again, how can people reach out to your organization? How can they become aware of what you're doing and potentially participate in an event or something you have upcoming? I actually have published a survey where I ask people to give their feedback about what they want to know about gun violence, what's missing from our reporting in terms of gun violence, you know, And um, what do they think about Up the Block and what kind of resources that they need? And they can um, find the story in the survey that's attached to the story. The story is about, you know, me being in this new role and wanting to know what people in the city think about the gun violence crisis. But by visiting thetrace.org, thetrace, T-H-E-T-R-A-C-E, 
theblock.org and uptheblock.org. Up the block. Do you know what's up the block? You know, that's my biggest thing right now. Do you know what is up the block? And I, I know it's kind of like tongue in cheek, but you know, it's called up the block, but do you know? Like up the block, there is hope. There is resources. There is someone who wants to listen to what you have to say. There are organizations who are providing free counseling, therapy services, folks that can get you connected to the Pennsylvania Victims Compensation Services, which help with funeral arrangements and cleanup and all types of different things. So I really, really would like people to visit up the block to just look at it. Send me an email personally, atuckerathetrace.org. Please fill out the survey because that helps me better understand what's going on and what people need. So again, that's uptheblock.org and thetrace.org. And my email is atuckerathetrace.org. Over the past few weeks, several buses have brought more than 100 immigrants seeking asylum to Philadelphia. Those buses were sent by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who's also been sending immigrants on buses to other cities, including New York and Washington, D.C. Many of the immigrants arrived in the United States at the Texas border. And while Abbott has been sending them to East Coast cities to make a political point, city officials and local organizations who work with immigrants have been helping them as they arrive in Philly by connecting them with resources. Block by Block's Brad Linder spoke with one of the people working to help immigrants arriving in Philadelphia. My name is Lila Thompson. I'm a senior staff attorney at Nationality Service Center as part of the Pennsylvania Immigrant Family Unity Project. Nationality Service Center is a nonprofit legal service provider and refugee resettlement agency. We are also one of the leaders in the formation of the Pennsylvania Immigrant Family Unity Project, which is Pennsylvania's first publicly funded defense counsel project for non-citizens with the goal to achieve universal representation for all folks in deportation proceedings throughout the state of Pennsylvania. The first bus arrived on November 16th, and the city of Philadelphia welcomed these individuals really with open arms. Most of the individuals are folks seeking asylum. As Philadelphia has always been a very proud, welcoming city, we committed to greeting all of our newly arrived neighbors with dignity and respect. When they arrived, they arrived to 30th Street Station. The bus pulls up. We have a number of organizations greet people there. And these are folks coming from Colombia, Cuba, Panama, Peru, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Dominican Republic. They're all folks who've been screened by Customs and Border Patrol before arriving to Philadelphia, have the choice to get on a bus to various different locations, and one of them is Philadelphia. One of the things to always think about is all the things that someone has gone through to get here, the journey to get to the United States, but also the journey within the United States to get to Philadelphia has been really difficult. Coming from Del Rio, Texas, it's like a 36 to 40 hour bus ride. There's a lot of things that can come up on that bus ride. So by the time that folks arrive to Philadelphia, we always have organizations meeting individuals at 30th Street Station. And we wanna just make sure that every single person who comes in contact with us in Philadelphia has some resources. So everyone is given a coat if they're cold. We're giving gloves and hats out. Immediately, someone will receive our welcome legal packet. So the welcome legal packet has information about how individuals can 
make sure that they're keeping their address up to date. Where can they receive legal services wherever they are going? You know, you're getting dropped off at 30th Street Station. Some people are just hopping on a bus or trying to catch a plane or something like that. And for those who are interested in sticking around, at least to figure out what their next steps are, we take them to the Welcome Center, which is on Lucerne Street in North Philadelphia. We're providing emergency health screenings, shelter space, food and water, legal services. So on our end, we're doing Know Your Rights sessions. We're doing consults with folks, really advising them about what the next steps are going to be now that they've arrived to the United States. And we're providing social services, on-site language interpretation for things like clothing. We have a donation center, backpacks, so that when folks are going somewhere else, they have something to put their stuff in. Warm showers, somewhere to rest after a very, very long bus ride. And folks are staying at the center anywhere from a day to four to five days to really get themselves in a situation where they can start their new life, whether that be in Philadelphia or elsewhere. We want to really set people up for success. Asylum is a form of protection available to folks who are at risk of serious harm in their home country. And you can only seek asylum if you come knocking at the doors of the United States and ask for protection. And so what I always like to tell people is that asylum is legal. You have to leave your home. And it's an extremely challenging decision to do that, really leaving behind everything someone has known, friends, family, personal belongings, sense of security. And so when someone does do that, typically individuals are placed both with supervision with Immigration and Customs Enforcement after they're initially processed, but then also in proceedings in front of the immigration court. And folks are given a document and then they're given a court date to appear in front of an immigration court. And then they can file their asylum applications from that point. Here in Philadelphia, we have a lot of folks in front of the Philadelphia Immigration Court. So most folks will probably see their first hearing within the first year. Then they'll get a final merits hearing where they get to present their whole case, probably in 2025, just because there are so many cases in front of the court. So in the meantime, folks are living in the area. Once you apply for asylum, you can be eligible for work authorization. And so folks are getting jobs, paying taxes, and really becoming part of our community. Ultimately, if they are granted asylum, they can become lawful permanent residents and then ultimately citizens. Philadelphia is a welcoming city. We've been doing this work for a very long time. The Office of Immigrant Affairs has been planning for the arrival of folks since we heard about folks coming to other parts of the United States. And we believe that care and welcoming people with dignity is the antidote to any kind of genuinely harmful political stunt. And we really wanna show that this country and this city is welcoming and that we can provide meaningful and sustained care for all who need it. Not just when new buses arrive and when they stop being in the headlines, but on a continuing basis. The reality is that we have people coming in and out of the United States all of the time and we want folks to have access to a community that will accept them and see them for who they are, which is human beings just looking for a place to feel safe. Lila Thompson says people who want to help can make donations to the Philadelphia Welcoming Fund, which was set up by the city for that purpose. 
funds from the welcoming fund are given directly to the nonprofit organizations who are helping. And so NSC is one of them. We've been working very closely with Casa de Venezuela, Juntos, New Sanctuary Movement, Aquinas Community Center, Alianza Latina. There's so many wonderful organizations, Highest Pennsylvania, that we've been working very, very closely with. All the organizations on the welcoming page are using these funds to directly benefit the folks who are coming and also the folks who are already our clients. We're not working in a vacuum here. We've been helping people for so long. And we think of this as a holistic effort, recognizing that the leadership of immigrant communities in this fight to create a more just immigration system requires community and collaboration. Block by Block's Wayne Hunter has been exploring ways to help people in our community learn to use technology in their personal and professional lives. Recently, Wayne had an opportunity to speak with someone else who's working in this space. My name is Vicki Zandi, and I work for a nonprofit called Beyond Literacy. We provide um, education and opportunities for adults in Philadelphia. We do GED and HICEP prep. We do job training, workforce development, and digital literacy as well. And EFL, providing a wide range of educational opportunities for Philadelphians at no cost. And we do it in different areas of the city. I work doing digital literacy, and I do computer instruction, one-on-one help, and workshops on different topics at city rec centers around Philadelphia. You talked about digital literacy. Why is is that important? Important to help people uh, connect with one another these days, first of all, using social media and even video-based chats is really important for just staying in contact with friends and family. And then you get into the whole side of digital literacy being basically vital for most jobs these days. And if you have a good grasp on fundamental computer programs and technology, that will help you in almost any career and can help you get a better, a more lucrative job as well. Can you give folks out there some of the locations that they can take advantage of some of the services? Yeah, so me and my partner in Beyond Literacy are currently at seven city rec centers. Happy Hollow near Wayne Junction is one. Um, Another in Germantown is Mallory Playground. And then we're also in a couple locations in West Philly and North Philly. We're there certain days of the week. So I'm at Happy Hollow Mondays from one to four. And we're also at Mallory Playground Mondays one to four. So anyone over 18 is free to drop in and get one-on-one help and tech support from me or another instructor. And yeah, if you go to our website, you can get the full schedule of where we are and on what days. But luckily for people, they don't have to register and they can just show up and hopefully I'll be able to assist them with whatever technology need they have. And then we also have workshops each week on a different topic. Got computer basics, learning to type, and then helping people create resumes and look for jobs, and then workshops on different computer programs, too. Thank you for all of the very valuable information you shared with us today. Is there any parting words that you would like to leave with our listening audience? Sure. Um, Again, go to our website if you have any questions. 
Or you can also call our general number. That is at 215-474-1235. This is Wayne Hunter signing off from Block by Block, wishing you all a farewell. by Blocks, Brujo de la Mancha has been bringing us interviews about indigenous people and communities in the Philadelphia area. In this week's segment, he has a story about the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy. My name is Levy Newell III. My roots are from North Carolina, Virginia, India, and Ireland. Those are my roots. I'm a resident of Ardmore, Pennsylvania, was a resident of Doylestown, and uh resident in New Jersey at one point in my life. I'm retired from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. The company's not in existence anymore. It's all part of Rutgers right now, university. While I was working for the company, I started my own little production music studio, which is still in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And it would do remixes, voiceovers, my, my DJ events, and anything else that's needed musically, including setting up people's home studios. So that was my little side job. I still like doing that right now. I also am part of the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy of Pennsylvania, which was started by the Honorable Chief Buffy Redfeather Brown, and of course my uncle, her husband, which is Hawk Brown. The Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy was actually started in Georgia. So there's different bands through the country that we had for a number of years. Chief Buffy had vision of having not just a Cherokee festival or a powwow, vision was to get kids Native kids scholarship money. So every time we would have a powwow, the money that we had left over would go to some of the kids for scholarship. That was her dream. She worked in the Philadelphia school system. My grandmother, her mother, worked in the school system in Philadelphia. And her brother worked in the school system in Philadelphia until he moved to Gary, Indiana, became a principal out there. So when the powwow started, it started with Temple University, done at the Ambler campus, not Philadelphia campus, but the Ambler campus. And we would have this powwow or a Cherokee festival on the weekend of Memorial Day. And that would be three days, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I know you've, you've been around us for so long. I'm sure you met some of the people who were part of the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy in many ways. Some of these people were most important people to making this stuff come together, to making a powwow come together. People like Bear Fuller, Bob Redhall, just so many people I haven't even named yet, but we all were there at these powwows. And that went for about 19 years. And then at some time after the 19 years, the area kind of dried up significantly. We didn't have as many people come in. Some of the people who were part of the Confederacy and maybe not even part of the Confederacy were dealing with other issues, whether it was personal or physical or anything like that, health-wise, anything like that. The Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy continued to still have the meetings, and the meetings were just for coming together and just keeping out ourselves active within the community. And on top of that, we would support other Native events, such as Indigenous Peoples Day and so on. Chief Buffy had crossed over last year, last October at this time. I was honored to be able to receive 
the paperwork from her before she crossed over. To be honest with you, my eye was tough. She was very tough. She was in pretty good health for years. Just something came on and and that was it. So, you know, our family missed her quite a bit. Also, I wanted to mention that the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy, or it became a council, have different branches through the country. It could be California, Arizona, of course, I said Georgia, maybe Florida, and I can't remember all the other locations. Some of the bands are still together and some are not. Fortunately, the main branch down in Georgia was closing up. My vision for the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy is just to make sure that we're still here and to support all Native American indigenous events. We still have members that are still here, and many of them are even my family members, brothers, sisters, nieces, great nieces, great nephews, nephews, cousins, and so on. Uh, now, Preston, how people can get in contact with you or how they can get to know about more uh, the Southeast Cherokee Confederacy? Well, the website is still there. I'm still working on it, Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy. You can just type it in and it'll come up. But the best way is just to get me right on Facebook at Levy Newell. That's the best way to get me because I will get to it faster that way. Or they can reach me at dreameyesproduction at yahoo.com, which is also my email for my studio, which is under Dream Eyes Production. Thank you very much. Any other current plans for the Cherokee Confederacy that you would like to announce or something or anything else you would well, like to set to close up? You know, it's been rough last year or so, you know, with changes when a family member's health. So things have been slowed down quite a bit, especially after Chief Buffy crossed over. But the plans will eventually come back together or where we go forward to. But my main plan is to support American indigenous events. But I also would like to see her scholarship funding continue for Native kids in Philadelphia area. So that's the main focus is to keep that going any way we have to whether I can meet with city officials or anyone outside the city, whatever it takes, it's going to happen. A lot of people think, well, the Confederacy is just dead. Um, Chief Buffy's gone, but no, it's still here. We're still here. I still talk to members. We're still here. We're just going to keep going. I think what I want to say is that my aunt's name, which is Redfeather, that name is very important to our family, and no one should be ever using that name. I don't mean Red Feather itself, but anything that meant anything with Chief Buffy Red Feather Brown should not be used because that has to be proved by the elders of my family. And you got to think about my mother. My mother and Chief Buffy were like sisters all the time. All the family get-togethers we had for years, the barbecues, parties, they were like sisters. I really thought they were sisters when I was a little kid. <laughs> That's how close they were. You know, I'd really like to thank and appreciate everyone that participated with the Southeastern Cherokee Confederacy Cherokee Festival. Everyone. I mentioned out some people, some of the vendors, dancers. One group that I work with is Native Nations. They have been instrumental with the Southeastern Cherokees for years. They provided dancing and they provided vending. Just want to thank everyone for being there and making every Memorial Day weekend a special weekend. As a matter of fact, to me, that was the kickoff of my summer. 
Thank you, Levi, for sharing all these great stories and information here. It's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, I hope people support you and keep growing with these decisions you are taking, and it's hard work, but, you know, you have a mission, and as always we said, when they, uh, you do the things right, your ancestors will support you, you know. They know that you're doing the right thing. Block by Block is produced by Alice Hall, Brujo de la Mancha, John Morrison, Chris Hill, Michelle Gillard-Houston, Selena Singleton, and Wayne Hunter. And I'm Maleka Fruin. Wayne Hunter was our board operator this evening. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM. And Allison Durham is WPPM's Radio Production and Programming Coordinator. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Block by Block featuring more stories about issues affecting life in the Philly region. And you can find past episodes of the show at Philly Cam's SoundCloud.